Well, if you, if you do have a Bible, it might be uh, helpful for you uh, to turn back uh, to the passage we read earlier in uh, Genesis chapter 49. And as we start, I want you to imagine that you had an event uh, coming up in the future. It's not uh, something you're looking forward to, but it's something you know is important and you know it's going to happen. Could be an exam at school, or a job interview, or a big operation that you've got coming up. And in situations like that, you've got two choices, haven't you? You can uh, uh, try uh, and prepare the best as you can, and make sure you're as ready as you can for that event. Or you can um, stick your head in the sand, try not to think about it, and pretend it's not going to happen. And I hope it's obvious which of those two is the best approach to take. But you know, uh, one important event uh, that we've got coming up in the future, more important than any of those I've talked about, is death. Uh, When it comes to death, um, um, we know it's going to come, but I think most of us are tempted to take that second approach. There aren't uh, many events uh, more important, are there? Uh, We know that unless the Lord returns, that all of us will one day face death. But most of us prefer not to think about it too much. Uh, And we definitely don't like talking about it. We don't like um, um, seeming morbid or wanting to upset people as we think about it. And that's understandable, isn't it? Death is not a a nice event. Death is is, is not um, a part of the world that that has God created, but it's something that's a result of sin. And death is a painful and an awful thing. But, you know, um, if we've got something coming up and we know it's coming, it's better to be prepared for it. And in the past, uh, maybe people were better at preparing for death uh, than they are today. Uh, Today, uh, people tend to read books about how to live our best lives uh, in this world. But apparently, uh, in the 15th century, uh, one of the most popular books was called The Art of Dying. And it was all about how to die well. And for Christians in particular, um, it's worth preparing because we know that we have hope beyond death. We know that we have the hope of of eternal life in a new creation. And so this morning, uh, we're going to look at the passage we read uh, and the death of Jacob. And we're going to think about our hope beyond death in the new creation. So let's look at our hope in the face of death. Well, uh, we've joined Jacob's life right at the end, uh, but Jacob's life is a roller coaster. If you know uh, the book of Genesis, you'll know that as a young man, he uh, uh, lied and tricked his brother out of his father's blessing and then had to flee for his life. Uh, Then uh, later on, on his wedding day, he was tricked into marrying the wrong woman and ended up uh, married to two feuding sisters. As an old man uh, with 12 children, he was tricked again Uh, into believing that his uh, favourite son Joseph had died. And then after many years of mourning, uh, Jacob was uh, shocked to find out that Joseph was actually not only alive, but was uh, in a powerful position in Egypt and saving uh, that country from famine. And he was reunited with his son Joseph. By anyone's standard, that's a pretty eventful life, isn't it? But by the time we reach the end of Genesis, uh, we reach the end of his life. We reach the time that has come for him to breathe his last. 
I don't know if any of you ever read uh, biographies or history books, uh, but you'll know there's often a lot of interest in what someone's last words were. And as I was uh, preparing for this, I looked up a list of people's last words. And there's something really uh, poignant and moving about reading them. Because these are words of people on the brink of of leaving this world. And they often tell us something uh, significant about how they were feeling or or what mattered to them. Apparently, uh, uh, before Jane Austen, who wrote Pride and Prejudice Died, her last words were, I want nothing but death. Because she was in great pain at illness. Uh, Many famous people who are famous for doing great things show with their last words that what really mattered to them Uh, were the people they loved as they whisper the name of a a spouse or a loved one. Leonardo da Vinci painted the Mona Lisa and with his last words he showed how important his work was to him. Apparently he said, I've offended God and mankind because my work did not reach the quality it should have. He's obviously a man with high standards. Um, But what did Jacob's last words tell us about him? We read at the start of our passage, In verse 29. Then Jacob commanded them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah to the east of Mamre, in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah his wife, There they buried Rebekah, his wife, Isaac and Rebekah, his wife. And there I buried Leah. The field and the cave that is in it were bought from the Hittites. With Jacob's last words, uh, he gives his son some very specific instructions about his burial. And we know uh, that this was something Jacob cared deeply about because already in Genesis, a few chapters earlier, he'd made his son Joseph solemnly swear that he was to be buried not in Egypt where he was living, but in the land of Canaan. And now on his deathbed, Jacob repeats that command. And so we ask, what was it that made that uh, burial place so important to Jacob that he took up his last words? Well, he tells us uh, three things about it. He says it was located in the land of Canaan, the land that God had promised to Abraham that he and his descendants would possess. He tells us that it's where uh, Jacob's ancestors in God's covenant people, uh, Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebekah and his own wife Leah were buried. And finally he tells us that it was land that was owned by the family of faith. It was uh, land that Abraham had brought from, bought from this man Ephron the Hittite, uh, which we read about earlier in the book of Genesis. So Jacob uh, tells his sons that this land uh, was a small part of the promised land which was already owned and already belonged to God's uh, covenant people. God had promised that one day they would own the whole land. But this uh, small patch, it acted like a deposit, uh, which reminded them of the much bigger promise that they would possess the land of Canaan. And with his dying wish, uh, Jacob shows that as he reached the end of his life, his thoughts are fixed on God's promise. It's a promise he hasn't seen come true in his life. He's still uh, living in Egypt, not in Canaan. But as he asks his sons to bury him there, he's showing that in death he is trusting in God's promise. Well, what does that mean for us this morning? 
uh, might help to take a step back and think about what God's promised land uh, plays in the Bible, the role it plays. As we uh, read through the Old Testament, we see that the promises that God made to, to Abraham and his sons are really important. God promised that he would be Abraham's God. God uh, promised that he would make Abraham into a great nation. He promised that he would bless Abraham and that in him all the families of the world would be blessed. And he promised to give Abraham the land of Canaan to live in. And as we uh, read through the Bible, we see uh, God for, for keeping those promises to his people Israel. Uh, we see them uh, made into a great nation living in the land of Canaan. But as we read through the Bible, uh, we also realise that ultimately all of these promises point to something greater. They point to uh, the promises that will be fulfilled uh, by the Messiah, Jesus Christ, in the new covenant. For Jacob and the people of Israel, the promised land meant the hope of security and rest. It meant the hope of peace and prosperity and abundance. And above all, it meant the hope of a place uh, where they could live in the presence of God himself. A place where God uh, dwelled in their midst. The promise of the land, it pointed them backwards as well as forwards. It pointed them back uh, to the time in the garden where Adam and Eve, they uh, dwelled in God's creation with God uh, walking in their midst. It was God saying, I'm going to restore what you lost through sin. And ultimately it pointed them forward. It pointed them forward to what God planned to accomplish in Jesus it pointed them forward to a far greater rest than the people of Israel ever enjoyed in the land of Canaan. And that's a rest we can now enter uh, through Jesus. It's something we uh, enjoy now spiritually as we know something of his presence now by, by his spirit, don't we? If anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. But we also look forward to the day when we'll enjoy it fully. We look forward to the day when we as Christians will inherit the true uh, promised land with rest and security and peace and prosperity and abundance and above all with the Lord God uh, dwelling in our midst. That promise uh, now isn't a specific geographic place in the Middle East uh, but it's a promise of all of the world, of all of creation made new. We look forward to the new creation. And so, uh, like Jacob, as we face death, that's a promise that we can hold on to. As we face death, we hold on to the promise that when we die, our souls uh, will go to be with the Lord. And they will go to await the day when the Lord Jesus returns and when he makes everything new. When in, in resurrected bodies, uh, we will enjoy the new heaven and the new earth to come. The Bible, it doesn't tell us everything about what that will be like, does it? But um, we can imagine something of it as we think about uh, all that is good about this world, but without the brokenness caused by sin. We think about what we enjoy uh, about God's creation now. Uh, we think about what we enjoy doing. We think about um, uh, the relationships that we enjoy with one another. All of that now is, 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 is marred and, and less good than it could be because of sin. But in the new creation, uh, it will all be made new. I don't know if any of you uh, went on holiday this summer. We went to the, the Lake District for a week and the weather was a bit like it was this morning all week. 
Um, and we climbed some mountains and hills, and most of the time at the top, the views were covered by clouds. But when they didn't, they were breathtaking, as you look out over uh, creation all around. And you know, I've got a long list of places I'd love to visit and things I'd love to do around the world. I'd love to um, uh, visit Africa and go on safari and see the animals there. I'd love to um, um, visit places like India and South America and experience the different cultures. I'd love to uh, go to Australia and watch England cricket team get thumped in the ashes. But I'm fairly sure that I won't actually get to visit any of those places. I don't have the time and I definitely don't have the money. But you know, there's no need for us to regret that. We don't need to be uh, those people who write a long bucket list and frantically try and tick off as many activities as we can. Because we have the promise of all eternity to enjoy the new creation, uh, which will offer all that is good about this world, and much more. And above all, we'll enjoy God's presence in the centre of it all. The book of Revelation it gives us a picture of what that's like. It talks of uh, the river of the water of life running through the streets in a city. And the, the tree of life is on either side of that river, yielding its fruit in the month, each month. And it says the throne of God and the Lamb is in that city so that God's people, they see his face. And they need no light from a lamp or sun for the Lord their God will be their light and they will reign uh, with him forever and ever. And friends, this morning, if you are trusting in Christ, that is the promise uh, that you too can hold to in the face of death. Uh, you might be someone who's expecting that to happen uh, not too long in the future. Or you might just know uh, that it's something that can come to any of us at any point. All of us, uh, we go to bed each night, don't we? Not 100% sure if we're going to wake up again in the morning. But God's promise to you is that death is not the end if you are trusting in Jesus. His promise to you is that you have a glorious inheritance to come. That you can look forward to a resurrected hope in a new creation. And so we read in uh, verse 33. When Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. Uh, Jacob's life is full of, of turmoil. But this is a, a picture of someone who now dies uh, peaceful, breathing his last, trusting in God's promises. When the book of Hebrews uh, talks about the Old Testament believers like Jacob, uh, this is what it says about him and those like him. It says, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they'd been thinking about that land they'd gone out from, they would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Do you know, as I um, read through that uh, long list of people's famous last words, uh, my favourite was from a lady called Harriet Tubman. Uh, Harriet Tubman was an American woman. 
who was a slave and then escaped slavery. And she, uh, through her life, then rescued many other slaves from uh, slavery. But her last words, as she uh, died of pneumonia, were quoting a promise of Jesus. She said, I go to prepare a place for you. And that is our hope too in the face of death. That Jesus promised that he will go and prepare a place for you. And then uh, C2, that uh, the new creation is also a hope in the face of the death of others as well. Look at Joseph's uh, reaction to his father's death in verse 1 of chapter 50. It says, Then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. Uh, Jacob and Joseph in their lives spent years uh, separated when uh, Jacob thought his son was dead and Joseph was in Egypt. And when Jacob finally found out that Joseph was alive, uh, he travelled to Egypt and he was reunited with his son. And the Bible says when that happened, Joseph presented himself to Jacob and he fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. That was uh, weeping at the joy of being reunited to his long-lost father. But now we see Joseph fall on his father again and weep because he's again separated from him. And that, that's one of the reasons why death is so awful, isn't it? It, it separates, it tears us apart from those we love. Uh, whether it's uh, parents like Joseph or children or, or friends or spouses. And you know, sadly, uh, sometimes we don't know, do we, uh, whether those who've died were trusting in Jesus. And all we can do in those circumstances is come uh, to the good God, the God of all comfort, and leave it in his hands. Uh, But sometimes uh, we are confident that the person who's died was trusting in the Lord, and that they've gone to be with the Lord. And that doesn't change the fact that, like uh, Joseph, we've had our loved one torn away, and we want to weep and and mourn at that. But uh, like Joseph, we can know uh, that they would have died trusting in God's promises. And so we can know uh, that there is the hope of a new creation when we'll again be together uh, with those who've died and enjoy the Lord's presence together. Again, that doesn't uh, prevent us from weeping bitterly but it does give us hope even in the midst of mourning. So as we face death, uh, whether our own or or others, set your mind on the promised land. Look forward to the new creation to come. I think of your Lord, who you'll see face to face. And then uh, uh, secondly, let's just see that the new creation hope is offered to any who trust in Jesus. The new creation hope is offered to any who trust in Jesus. Well, uh, deaths are normally followed by a funeral, aren't they? And um, last year, uh, you might remember when Queen Elizabeth died, there was a great uh, state funeral, there was a great ceremony around her funeral. There was a national mourning period of ten days, during which a quarter of a million people uh, visited her coffin to see it. Then, uh, after that, around 500 uh, dignitaries and and heads of states were invited from all across the world to attend her funeral. And after the funeral, her coffin was uh, uh, transported from the Westminster Abbey uh, to Windsor. And there were two great processions along the way, as it did, 
uh, with uh, military uh, personnel on, on horseback and foot uh, following along the way. And as we think of that, maybe it gives us an idea of what happens in uh, Genesis chapter 50. Uh, because we read here the detail of a great uh, state funeral that followed Jacob's death. First of all, his uh, body is embalmed. I don't know if you realize that there were Egyptian mummies in the Bible, but we've got one here. Uh, maybe that was pr- partly a practical step to preserve his body for the journey to Canaan. But it also shows the high standing that Jacob was held in because he was Joseph's father. And Joseph had been the prime minister who'd uh, saved Israel from Egypt from famine. And the Egyptians, they didn't just have a 10-day mourning period. They mourned for 70 days for Jacob. After that 70-day period, uh, Joseph asked Pharaoh's permission to travel to Canaan and bury his father. And not only does Pharaoh agree, but he sends a very great company along with him on the funeral procession. We read that all of the dignitaries of Pharaoh's court And all of the dignitaries of Egypt, they join uh, Joseph and his brothers on the journey to Egypt. And it was a a military procession too. There were chariots and horsemen uh, riding along with them. And when they reach the River Jordan on the edge of the Promised Land, there's another seven-day mourning period, uh, which was so great that the Canaanite people who lived there decide to call the place where it happens Abel Mizraim, which uh, means mourning of the Egyptians. And then it um, uh, seems like we reach the intimate family part of the funeral. As Joseph and his brothers, they cross the Jordan and bury their father in the exact location he had commanded them. Well, this is is the grandest funeral recorded in the Bible. It uh, shows us Joseph and his brothers fulfilling their father's command. But it also teaches us something about God's salvation plan. Because it's striking as we read this passage that Jacob's funeral procession is described in a way that's very similar to what um, uh, Israel would do hundreds of years later when they had the exodus from Egypt and God led them out of Egypt and came to rescue his people. Uh, Like Jacob, in death, these Israelites would go up out of Egypt, leaving the land of Goshen. And God would lead them uh, through the Red Sea and guide them until eventually they arrived on the Jordan and crossed over into the promised land. And so, as Jacob's body uh, travels to Canaan, it almost gives the Israelites an enacted prophecy of what God would do for them hundreds of years later. But you know, uh, there's a key difference between uh, the Exodus and Jacob's journey here. What is it? It's the role of the Egyptians. In the Exodus, the people of of Israel, they go fleeing from the chariots and horsemen of Egypt, chasing after them. But in this passage, they've got chariots and horsemen accompanying Jacob as he goes, uh, accompanying his body. In fact, uh, the level of the honour that Egyptians show to this old Hebrew man is, is quite incredible, isn't it? A great company of them go with Jacob and mourn for him. When the locals see it, they say, Look at the Egyptians holding this solemn ceremony of mourning and they name the place after him. These Egyptians have been blessed by Jacob's family and now they are blessing him. And as we read it, that's quite unusual, isn't it? We're used to, uh, if we read the Bible regularly, thinking of the Egyptians as as some of the baddies. They're the ones in the Old Testament that are, are trying to get God's people. 
And it's sad to think that by the time we get to uh, Moses and, and, and Pharaoh, the relationship's changed so much that Pharaoh's trying to uh, destroy God's people. But this funeral possession, it shows us that it doesn't always need to be like that. Here, we see the Egyptians on the same side as Israel. And uh, later on in the Bible, in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah prophesied that there'd again be a day when Israel's great enemies, uh, Egypt and also Assyria, would join her. Listen to what it says in Isaiah chapter 19. In Isaiah chapter 19, uh, Isaiah says, In that day there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria. Assyria will come into Egypt and Egypt into Assyria. And the Egyptians will worship with the Assyrians. In that day, Israel will be the third with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the earth, whom the Lord of hosts has blessed, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance. This uh, funeral procession reminds us of the greater exodus to come. Uh, when the Lord Jesus died on the cross for, for our sins. And uh, through his, resurrection, his death and resurrection, he conquered sin and death. And he uh, rescues us from slavery. And he rose again under a resurrection hope and a new creation. Not just for um, Jews, but for people of all nations. It's a hope that's on offer to people of every uh, tribe and tongue and nation. For anyone who trusts in Jesus. You know, as we think about the new creation, it's not always easy to anticipate that hope to come, is it? Uh, sometimes this world can seem so uh, real and all-consuming. And the world to come can feel much more difficult to grasp onto. We might uh, believe it in our minds, but it's hard to, to make it real, really real to us in our hearts. Well, when that's the case, it's helpful not only to look forward uh, to the new creation to come, but also to come back again to the way God has already acted uh, to rescue us through Jesus Christ. As we do, we can look uh, to Jesus and his finished work, look to what he's already done to defeat sin and death, and know that whatever your background, whoever you are, if you are trusted in the Lord Jesus, your inheritance is certain. There's lots of similarities between uh, us uh, and the people of Israel looking forward to the promised land. But we have so much more than them to ground our hope. Uh, They could remember God's promises to Abraham. They could remember Jacob being buried in that little patch of land in uh, Canaan. But we can look to the Lord Jesus. We can look to what he's done on the cross. We can look to his resurrection from the grave. And we can have confidence that our hope is sure. And let me just say, if you're not uh, trusting in Jesus here today, then uh, you need to know that whatever your background, wherever you're from, uh, whatever you've done, this hope of the new creation is on offer to you too. All of us, like Jacob, will someday face death. None of us know uh, how soon that day will come. But there is a hope uh, beyond death on offer to people from all nations Not just something vague and insubstantial, not just wishful thinking, uh, but a a solid, tangible hope of a restored creation. But the only way uh, to make that hope your own is to put your faith in Jesus, 
who rescues us from our slavery to sin. So if you haven't done that yet, uh, please think about that this morning. Put your trust in him. Well, our passage uh, today ends with verse 14. It tells us that after uh, burying his father, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who'd gone up with him to bury his father. Uh, These brothers have have been to the promised land. Uh, They've seen it and they've remembered God's promise that it one day belonged to their family. But it's not uh, time for that yet and so they have to go back to Egypt and they are called to walk by faith now, looking to that promise to come. And that is exactly our call today too, isn't it? We, um, we don't know uh, the timing for God's lives. But as we close, uh, we know that whether the Lord Jesus uh, comes back before we die, or whether we're called to, to live in this world and then die trusting in his promise, we have the same hope that Jacob and his sons had as they travelled back to Egypt. That one day uh, we will rise along with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all who are trusting in Christ. And we will uh, see the Lord Jesus and we will live forever in his promised land.